Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. The scripture reading today uh, comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Antioch. Good morning, my name is Linda, and I have the privilege of being a pastor here at Antioch. And I'm so excited to be here this morning. Um, A few weeks ago, when Pete walked into my office and he asked me, do you want to preach? And I said, yeah. And he told me my passage and I scribbled it down on a post-it note. And later that day, I picked up my Bible and I opened to the passage that we're in today, Colossians 2, 16 through 23. And I read it. And I honestly had no clue what it meant. I just sat in it and thought, this is such a weird passage. In case you didn't hear, just listen to some of these words that Paul uses. There's judgment, there's shadows, there's new moons, there's head with a capital H, there's visions, there's ligaments. I felt like Paul took all of his smart words and he put them in my seven verses and I was so confused. But over the past few weeks, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what Paul was saying to the church in in Colossae. And this morning, I hope to explain to you what in the world Paul was talking about, both to the believers in Colossae and for us, and to remind you of the good news. Jesus did everything that needed to be done. And because of this, we belong to Christ. Amen. I like that. Let's get some amens going in here today. So I invite you to join me by turning to Colossians 2. 16 through 23, but before we jump in, I invite you to pray with me. God, you gave Paul these words and they've been passed down from generation to generation 
and we can read them today. And we invite you to add new life to these words, God. Thank you that you are a God who wants to be known, who tells us we can know you. And we invite you to meet us this morning, to stir in our midst and to work within us. Remind us of your love and draw us closer to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so in order to unpack this obscure passage, we need a little background. This is a letter that Paul wrote to believers in Colossae. And Colossae was a small little town built at the foot of a mountain range in a valley with a river running through it. I think we would like it there. Um, and in this region, there were lots of religions which influenced the culture. There was Judaism, there was Gnosticism, there was worship of pagan gods, there was a big angel cult, just to name a few. And the big word for this is syncretism, which means combining many different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. So Paul was in jail, and he heard that there were well-intentioned believers in Colossae and he knew they were in danger. And since Paul couldn't visit them, he's in jail, he wrote this letter. And this part specifically was written to help the believers not fall into three perceived traps. What traps, you ask? Well, great. The first is that of Old Testament practices. And in our passage, Paul was referring to this trap when he used words like new moons and religious festivals and the Sabbath day. You see, there was a large population of, um, of Jewish believers, of Jewish followers in Colossae, and these people taught that they were mandated to live into the laws that were prescribed in the Old Testament, which had been prescribed by God. And they thought that they needed to follow all these rules. Remember, Paul had grown up Jewish. He had spent the better part of his entire life studying these rules and following the laws and punishing anyone who didn't. And he knew that this was not the way to an abundant, satisfying life. These festivals weren't bad, but they all pointed to the Messiah. They were all meant to point to Jesus. And now that Jesus, our Messiah, had come, they no longer needed to be done. And Paul didn't want the believers in Colossae to waste their time doing all these Old Testament practices. Um, it reminds me of the words in Matthew 5:17. Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And I want to sit in that for just a minute because Paul is giving them really, really good news. So say you have a really long to-do list and it's all these highly demanding things that you had to do over and over and over again. You've been doing them for your whole life and you think you're gonna do them for the rest of your life. And then you find out that someone did them for you and you would never need to do them again. That's really good news. And I'd like you all to take a really deep breath and let it out because the Colossians, as they read this letter, the stress melted off their shoulders. That is freedom. They didn't have to do all those things anymore. Now in Central Oregon, we're not necessarily allured by the Jewish practices of the Old Testament, 
But might we sometimes think that if we keep certain rules or if we follow certain laws, then we might be more acceptable to God or gain more of his favor? The trap back then was Old Testament practices and the trap today is religious practices. Paul says, you don't have to do those things. Instead, remember that Jesus took care of all this for you. All of it. And because of this, you belong to Jesus. Use your time and energy to pursue him. And that is good news for us. The second trap is angelic worship. When Paul talks about visions, or no, when Paul talks about visions and angels and sightings, he is referring to this. So the first is Old Testament practices. The second is angelic worship. You see, there was a large angel cult in Colossae. Lots of people worshiping angels. And Paul didn't want these believers to think that they needed to worship angels. He knew this would not improve their relationship with God. He says, again, you don't need to do that. Instead, you can worship the one who created the angels. That is good news. In the letter to the Romans, Paul cautioned them of the same thing. In Romans 1.25, Paul says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. And before we criticize the Colossians, Paul's words resonate with us too. The trap back then was worshiping angels instead of the one who created the angels. And the trap for us today is worshiping creation instead of the one who created everything we enjoy. You know, Central Oregon, we got the edge on the market when it comes to worshiping creation instead of the creator. Now don't get me wrong, God wants you to enjoy everything he has made. But when we find our identity in Jesus and then allow ourselves to enjoy the things he has made, then we're okay when it's a bad winter and it's not great snow up at the mountain. And we're okay when we don't have enough money in the bank account to buy the season pass. And when it's good winter and the snow is awesome and the money's there, and guess what it all is? Gravy. It's all even better because... Our beautiful landscape invites us to worship the creator and enjoy the creation. If we stop short and worship only the creation, Paul knows this will never satisfy us. Paul says, worship the creator and enjoy the things he has made. Third trap. False humility. So first, Old Testament practices. Second, angelic worship. Third, false humility. Paul used these words regarding this trap. Asceticism and self-denial. You see, there were lots of Gnostics in Colossae. And Gnostic, it's a big word and it's got a silent G, which makes it confusing. But all it means is that people thought that they were souls trapped in a human body. And because of this, they didn't care about their body. They only cared about their soul which gets confusing. But one thing that they insisted on was that it was better to find a mediator who would speak to God on your behalf instead of you simply speaking to God on your own behalf. 
And Paul says, Mm-mm, do not buy this lie. You are invited to speak to God because he loves you. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know his love. The only mediator you need is Jesus. First Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. These Gnostics also insisted on a lot of um, strict self-denial practices. So they would not eat and they would not sleep, thinking that this would actually gain them favor with God. And Paul strongly objects. You know, there are a lot of well-intentioned Christians who actually think devotion and working hard can add to their merit or gain them favor with God. I grew up in a church like this. The trap back then was thinking that only spiritual things matter. And the same can be true for us today. We often forget that we are a soul with a body or a body with a soul. And it seems one gets the attention at the expense of the other. And Paul says, it's not one or the other. God created all that is you. And you are invited to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. Bottom line, Paul is saying that all these things, those three traps, Old Testament practices, angelic worship, false humility, they're all a really bad substitute for the good news of Jesus. Um, if Jesus were a math teacher, I imagine Jesus would get his chalk and he'd go up to the chalkboard and he'd say, Jesus plus anything equals a lie. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to do anything else. No Jewish or no Old Testament practices, no angelic worship, no false humility. And then he'd add underneath, he'd say, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because what Paul is telling the Colossians is all you need is Christ. And he's come and he's taking care of you. And it is such good news because Jesus was born, he lived, he died, and he came back to life. He did everything that needed to be done because of his love for us, because of his love for his creation, for everything he has made, for every single person. That includes me, and that includes you. And he invites us to rest in this love. We can't, more, we can't earn more of his love. He already loves us completely. And we can't earn more of his favor. We have the full favor of God. That's remarkable. There is great freedom in knowing that we don't have to earn more of God's favor. We are loved by God and we can enjoy a relationship with him because of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so I think Paul knew, I mean, he just spit all these like big words out at the Colossians in his letter. And I think Paul knew he might be confusing the readers of his letter because he moves into two analogies to help them better understand what in the world he is talking about. So the first is that of shadows. 
For Christmas, my parents, they got us Disney Plus, which is really fun. Uh, Last weekend, we watched Peter Pan. And side note, that movie needs to be remade because there are a lot of things that are not politically correct in that movie. But Peter Pan, the character, he's pretty enchanting. He can fly. He hangs out with mermaids and he can dodge cannonballs. He's pretty awesome. But now say by some magic power, my boys who are eight and five got to hang out with the characters of Peter Pan. And they had to choose between Pan or his shadow. Who would they pick? Pan. Nobody wants a shadow. Nobody wants to hang out with just a shadow. And I think this helps us understand what Paul is saying. Paul says that those Old Testament practices, the angel worship, the false humility, they're all shadows. Then he reminds us, or then he reminds them that there is something so much more substantial than a shadow. The real thing is Jesus. Then the second analogy that Paul uses is that of a body that no longer is connected to its head. The image that comes to mind is that of a chicken running around even though its head has just been cut off. And that is a very startling image. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but in 1945 in Colorado in this town called Fruta, there was Mike the Headless Chicken. Seriously, this is real. We can actually go celebrate Mike the Headless Chicken at the end of May. Um, But okay, so one afternoon, the husband was butchering all the chickens and the wife was cleaning them and there was one that just refused to die. And they went to bed assuming that in the morning, this chicken would have given up the ghost and passed away. But when they woke up, the chicken was still alive, seriously. So they decided to give this rooster a second chance at life and guess how they fed him? with an eyedropper. I know, it's kind of gross. I mean, it's really gross. And the news of this chicken, Mer- I mean, rooster, Miracle Mike traveled fast and it traveled far and he joined the circus and he lived for 18 months. And still to this day, like I said, there is a festival held in his honor every single year. Mike the Headless Chicken. But the story reminds us that at some very basic level, When the head and the body become disconnected, there is a major problem. (laughs) In the same way, when the church forgets Jesus, there is a major problem. Just as the body belongs to the head, believers belong to Jesus. And Paul doesn't want the Colossians to forget who they belong to. Otherwise, we're gonna get confused. And we're gonna look a lot like bodies running blindly around with our heads cut off. And again, that is a very startling image. After hearing those words, Paul knew that the Colossians would naturally ask, okay, so if not this, then what? And of course, Paul answers their question. He said in, verse, in Colossians 2 verse 20, you have died with Christ. And this is, an, an, this is a way of explaining what Jesus did for us. You see, when Christ was crucified, it was as if we were crucified with him. The penalty of our sin was fully paid just as surely as if we had been crucified for our very own sins. 
And when Christ rose from the dead, we rose too. And now, because of Jesus, we belong to God. We belong to God. Paul continues in verse 221. This is not based on ancient prohibitions about food and festivals, which Paul summarizes as do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. Instead, it's only because of Jesus. Bottom line, Paul points out how ludicrous it would be to submit to these practices when there is something so much better. Our youngest son, Josiah, he's five. He thinks every little treasure is of great value. When he was little, he would find these little green airsoft pellets. You can see one up in his hand. Uh, He would carry them around all day, and then he'd put them under his pillow at night, and we would go in to kiss him when we'd go to bed, and we'd find them in his little palm when he was asleep. And still, he gathers coins and anything shiny. He thinks everything is of value. And a few Sundays ago, he brought some tokens, which he had found, to bend high to use in those bend high vending machines because sugar. But guess what? They didn't work. And Josiah learned that when it comes to vending machines, tokens have no value. They will get him nothing. They literally are worthless. And Paul wanted the believers in Colossae to know that these practices and these rituals had no value. They would get them nothing. They were literally worthless. They would not help gain believers' favor in God's eye. They would not help the believers in their pursuit of godly living. It would be a waste of time, of energy, and of money. And as verse uh, Colossians 2.23 says, they would not help them stop indulging in the desires of their flesh. They had no value, and they would get them nothing. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3.3, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in our own human efforts. Paul warns the Colossians not to go down this road. He says, do not turn to these things. Instead, he reminds them that they belong to Jesus. And he encourages them to remain faithful to Jesus. Because when you know you belong to Jesus and know that you are in Christ, this will change your life. It is here when God asks you, he invites you to see yourself how God sees you, how he sees you. Do you see yourself as God's handiwork, as God's art? Do you see yourself as someone who God cares about? Do you see yourself as someone worth God's time and God's blessing? Because guess what? God says you are all these things. And when you realize how much God loves you, loves us, it energizes us to live into his love and be transformed by him. If you want to be transformed by the power of God, it's going to require something of you. Not Old Testament rituals, not the worship of angels, 
not false humility. Instead, you are invited to live into the truth that you belong to God. The fact that you are here at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, that you put on your clothes, that you got in your car and you came to bend high, I don't think you did these things simply to check a box from your list, but instead because you are hungry to live into who God says you are. You know you belong to God and you want God to work in your life. But just like you can't stand in the kitchen and expect that dinner will make itself dinner or go to the gym and expect that you can walk out ripped with no effort, God invites us to actually live as if we belong to him and tells us that slowly we will start to be formed to look more like him. I would like to suggest this. God created you first and foremost to enjoy him and enjoy your belonging with him. If you've ever been abandoned, maybe by a close friend, Maybe your parents got divorced. Maybe a significant other or a spouse has left you or a family member has turned against you. This naturally would cause you or us to be hesitant to trust the love of a God we can't see. But God's love is better than any human love can ever be. God promises that you can come to him and know that you will never be abandoned, never. He will never leave you. Jesus tells us the same thing. He invites us to find our belonging with him. And you know what is promised? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We crave rest, we need rest, and we will only find the rest we really need when we discover our value and build our identity as those who belong to God. Which suggests that our deepest longing is to find our belonging in God. Augustine said, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Now, if you know me, you know that I can sleep anywhere. Planes, trains, automobiles, everywhere, I can sleep. So the word rest makes me think of a nap, which makes me feel happy. But what God is talking about here is so much more. More on that in a second. But when I'm not sleeping, I have a very hard time being still. Like, I don't like it. I don't like to be still. I like the wind in my hair and I like a smile on my face and I like to do it and I like to have fun and I like to do the things. So when God tells us to rest, I feel a little upset. In fact, if there's a verse that drives me nuts, it's this one. Psalm 46:10. be still and know that I am God. Like I said, true confession, I don't really want to be still. And if I'm honest, I question God on this one. It makes me ask, why? Why should we be still? 
And I want to answer that question and wrap up this morning by showing you the context of this verse, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. So please, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 46. First, a little background. This psalm, which is just a fancy word for song, was written in response to what God did for the Israelites. And then it was sung over and over and over again to help the Israelites remember what God did for them. And the story of what God had done for them is found in 2 Kings 18. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to tell you this story. Um, the Assyrians, they were the superpower of the day. They had conquered all the fortified cities of Israel except one. Um, there were 12 tribes of Israel, all had been conquered except Jerusalem. And the Assyrians had finally made it to Jerusalem. Now, the Assyrians were scary. When I say Assyrians, I want you to be scared. Like, I want you to think, ah, the Assyrians are coming. I want, like, if you were... I teach the kids a lot, you know, and so I would tell them all make, please make your scaredest face. I want you to think the Assyrians are coming and I am scared because um, they were cruel. They were savage. They, um, they invented impalement. They began the practice of infant sacrifice and they invented crucifixion. They were a super force that nobody wanted to mess with. The Assyrian, the Oh, that's good. Assyrians were scary. They're the Assyrians. <laughs> um, and the king of Assyria had come to Jerusalem. There were 150,000 Assyrian men, and they had their swords, and they had their spears, and they had their bows and arrows, and they were surrounding the entire fortified city of Jerusalem. 150,000 men would wrap around this city quite a few times, and the Israelites were scared. And the king of Assyria, his name is Sennacherib, and that might sound like a confusing name, unless you think of a snack rib appetizer. Yep, I'll have that, Sennacherib. See, Sennacherib, you'll remember, or next time you'll eat ribs, you'll be like, Sennacherib. Um, but King Sennacherib had sent a letter to the people who lived in Jerusalem. And you, we can read this letter in 2 Kings. It says, don't listen to your king, make peace with us. Open the gates and come out. We have wine and we have bread and we have honey. Don't listen to your king. He is misleading when he says, the Lord will rescue us. Do you see what just happened there? Their enemy promised them, the Assyrians promised the Israelites that they would be free. That is not how enemies talk to each other. If you're captured by your enemy, what do you become? A captive. You become the prisoner. King Sennacherib was lying. He wanted to put doubt and fear in their minds and the Israelites, he wanted to make them be scared. And when the king of Israel heard what had happened, he found that letter and he went to that temple and he prayed and he begged God to show the kingdoms of the world that there was only one true God. Now let's make this story real for us today because we don't live in Jerusalem. We live right here in central Oregon and we don't have an Assyrian army chasing after us. But there are lies that will not relent, which are constantly pursuing us. And it feels like an all out war. You might be waging a battle for your marriage. 
You might be waging a battle against loneliness. You might be waging a battle at work or with a child or with the way you talk and feel about yourself. The enemy is trying to take our life and our joy and our rest, and he does that with lies. Every day we are, in, we are tempted to enslave ourselves to something else, believing the lie that that one new thing could actually satisfy our deepest longings. And it is relentless, and it is exhausting, and we long for someone who can just make it all stop. Back to the Assyrians, the Ascarians. Guess what happened in Jerusalem? Without the Israelites picking up a single weapon, an angel of the Lord came at night and fought on their behalf and slaughtered all of the Assyrians. And Psalm 46 was written right after this battle so the Israelites would never forget what God did for them. And now I want to read it to you. Psalm 46, one through three. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. And then in your Bible, you will notice that it says, Selah. It's a musical rest, a pause, an invitation to think on this. Have you ever experienced your world crumbling or felt like everything was falling apart? They knew that feeling too. The psalm continues, verses four through six. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall, and he lifts his voice the earth melts. Again, Selah, a musical rest, an invitation to think on this. Then verses 10 through 11 is where we find that nugget. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You hear that wind? Yeah. We are invited to find rest in this. God has promised to be with us. Jesus has rescued us. We belong to him. Paul says, you don't have to do all these things. You already belong to God. And God invites us to be still, to find rest in him. This is not lotus. This is not self-affirmation. Instead, it is an invitation to still our minds and focus them on Jesus. But how do we do that? We meditate on God's words. We pray. 
we listen in silence and solitude. We remember God's promises and receive his presence with us. As the season of Lent begins this week, I invite you to consider how you can make time for this, to meditate on God's words, to pray, to listen in silence and solitude, and to receive God's presence with us. The Hebrew word for be still is rapa, rapa. It literally means to relax or let go, cue frozen. We are invited to be still because we have seen and we have heard about God working in our midst. We know we can trust him and that he will take care of us. We can take confidence that he will continue to work in our midst. We are invited to be still, to rest, because God is a good God. He's our ever-present help in trouble. We are his. We belong to him. In closing, I ask you to consider this question. What would it look like for you, for us, to find rest knowing that we belong to God. We do not need to enslave ourselves to a barrage of practices. Instead, we are invited to be still and know that he is God and receive his presence with us. He loves us. We can rest assured that we belong to the Father. Amen, because of Jesus Amen. He gave his life so we can have union with God. And he put his spirit in us as a deposit, a guarantee of his promise to testify and remind us that we belong to God. We have great assurance that God will make good on his promise. As we move into communion, I invite you to stand as I read the words of Jesus. Jesus taught us to take communion, to remember what he did on our behalf. And I'm going to read his words. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Then taking the cup, and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood, God's new covenant poured out for my people, for the forgiveness of sins. This morning, I invite you to receive the bread and the wine with joy, remembering that Jesus is very good news. Because of him, and only because of him, we belong to God. Amen.